Praise God. What a privilege we have to worship Him today. Please open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7 and stand with me as we read God's Word. We're going to read verses 11 through 28 today. Hebrews 7, starting at verse 11. In the midst of our lives, uh, the Word of God comes. God uses His Word to speak into our life. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clear still if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is attested of him, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever, so much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is also able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son. Made perfect forever. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would open our eyes today. That we would see wonderful things in it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, last week we saw Melchizedek. Mystery man. King of righteousness. King of peace. Priest of the most high God. A historical person who typified Christ. A priest-king who pointed to a mystery revealed how God the Father sent God the Son who became man, who became our great high priest and our righteous king. The one who both brings us to God and goes to God on our behalf and to whom we owe our allegiance, our loyalty, our worship. Melchizedek, superior both to to Abraham and to Levi, pointed to Jesus, who was superior to all. What makes Jesus so superior? 
That's our question for today. We constantly hear claims about things that are better just because they're new. In our consumer-driven economy, there's always the lure of the new, improved product. Homes, clothes, food, cars. If you're a car guy like me, you're always looking at the newest car and thinking, wow, wouldn't it be awesome to have one of those? See, they beg us to buy them because they're better. They're new. Maybe, maybe not. New does not always mean better. How many times we bought the latest only to find out that it's just like the old version or, or even inferior to the old. The claim of better is not always true. Except when we say that the 2007 Stanley Cup champion Anaheim Ducks <laughs> are better than the old Mighty Ducks. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. Wow. <laughs> Okay, we've got some hockey fans here. Now, spiritually speaking, though, especially when it comes to Jesus, better means better. The writer of Hebrews has been showing the Jewish Christians that he wrote to, that he addressed, that how Jesus is truly better than what they had before. Much superior. Better than the prophets, better than angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than Aaron, better than the whole Levitical priesthood system of sacrifices and laws and rules and regulations. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 11 through 28 points to that reality, points to it once again. Uh, the, The writer of Hebrews is an awesome preacher. He's preaching a sermon And he preaches this sermon, and he's still using Psalm 110, verse 4. One verse. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You'll remember last week we talked about Melchizedek, and how long, thousands of years before, where Melchizedek, we saw him in Genesis 14, and then God kind of kept him in the wings for like 2,000 years. And then he speaks through David. You are a priest forever. Speaking of the Messiah, another 2,000 or so years goes by and he shows up in Hebrews. He's still using Psalm 110 as a reference and Melchizedek as an example. And he is showing that they could trust Jesus. They could trust Jesus. They did not have to go back. They could draw near to God through Christ in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of their problems. The writer gives two primary arguments that I want to look at today about why Jesus is better. And the first is this. Jesus is the perfect replacement. He's the perfect replacement. What do I mean by that? He displaces all forerunners that were pointing to him and all imposters that would try to usurp his authority. It's based on four things. It's based on, first of all, a prediction of change. That, that the scriptures said that this change would come about. Even in the first few verses here of our passage today, starting in verse 11, talked about the fact that perfection couldn't come through the Levitical priesthood. It just wasn't possible. There was a need for change. You see, the system couldn't do what people thought it was going to do. See, God never said it would make anyone perfect. It was designed to show imperfection. 
It was designed to show sin. It was designed as a tutor to lead us to Christ, as Galatians tells us. So Jesus comes on the scene, and the old priesthood and the old system is now rendered obsolete. The priests lost their job. Perfection, by the way, is a synonym for salvation in Hebrews. Uh, It's the idea shown throughout the book that being reconciled to God and having access to Him is perfection. You could really see it as equal to being saved, uh, salvation. And only Jesus provides that. In verse 14, we read that it is evident that our Lord descended from Judah. Oh, wait a minute, we got a problem. Uh, No priest from Judah. That's right. No priest from Judah because it was already marked out thousands of years before that this other priest of another kind, different than Aaron's line, different than the Levitical priesthood, would arise and it would be according to the order of Melchizedek. Another of a different kind in contrast to the Levites from Melchizedek's order, not according to genealogy, but based on the power of an indestructible life. A life that could not be snuffed out. A life that would go on. Bought any replacement parts recently? You get replacement parts, you know, maybe you order them through the internet or whatever, but they show up and oftentimes they're either broken in the box or they break much quicker and you've got to make more. They're, they're often cheaply made. And they don't last. They're destructible. Even the things we say are indestructible, you can break them. Melt them down, crush them, whatever, but they're not indestructible. Now the law dealt only with the temporary. Even the forgiveness on the Day of Atonement, once a year, it didn't last. Just for a while. Every priest would die and then stay dead. A dead priest can't help you. See, Jesus came as a priest, he died, and rose from the dead, forevermore alive. See, the priesthood of God the Son could not end. He became our great high priest, alive forever. He got it by virtue of his deity, that he is God. So this this perfect replacement that Jesus is is based on the prediction that the change would happen. It's based on the power of an indestructible life, as the scriptures tell us. And it's based on a provision of a better hope. A better hope. Hope is one of the great themes in the book of Hebrews. Our hope that God will fulfill his promises. It is to us an anchor for our souls. It, It holds us in the midst of trial and trouble and hardship. But the law, it was weak. The scriptures tell us here it was weak, no strength. It was useless, no profit. It saved no one. It cursed everyone. And Galatians 3 tells us about that. In Galatians 3 and verse 10, we read, For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law. To perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. Habakkuk, by the way, said that. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. 
Ah, look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We don't have to keep the law. See, Jesus' mission was to do exactly what the law could not do. The law could not save or bring real inner change in the heart of a person. Couldn't do it. But Jesus comes in as the better hope, provides what the law could not, free access to God. You got unlimited internet access? Watch out on that. Put some filters on. But I'll tell you what, total unlimited no code, no fee required after the initial payment is made forever. Free access to God. Free access into the holy of holies. To the presence of God through Jesus. Believers in Jesus, through God's perfect sacrifice for sin, have this unlimited access to God. Nobody can turn that off. Nothing coming into your life can make that stop. There's no way you can be shut out. That is a better hope. Is that a better hope? Um, There's one more thing. It's based on the promise of a better covenant. A better covenant. Look at verse 20. Inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, you The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So much more, Jesus has become the guarantee. The guarantee of a better covenant. It's a unilateral covenant, uh, as we have looked at previously. It is a one-sided covenant. It is a covenant that God made. It is uh, sealed with his promise. His oath is a guarantee. And, And Psalm 110, verse 4 says, God will not change his mind on this. He will not change on this. He will not go back on his word. You and I go back on our word. We even write contracts out and break them. God will never change his mind on this. Jesus is the guarantee of salvation. Jesus is the guarantee of peace with God, with hope. By the way, this is the first mention of covenant in Hebrews. First mention. We've gone seven and a half chapters. First mention of covenant. We're going to see more about that in greater detail in chapter 8. But Jesus is the perfect replacement for the old system. Perfect replacement. And as such, here's the second thing. He is the perfect Savior. The perfect Savior. And by the way, if you're taking notes, you're going to run into issues now because uh, you're not going to have enough room if you're taking all the notes that are on PowerPoint all I can say is turn the page over when you need to, and, I, and I'm sorry. Um, but first of all, he is the perfect Savior, and it's based upon his permanent position. His permanent position. It's always opened. He's never to be replaced. Look at verse 23. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers. They had to, because they were prevented by death from continuing. <laughs> they would die. You'd have to replace them. Jesus is never to be replaced. There is a non-transferable warranty. I bought a car for Angela recently, and, and uh, 
I called the, the company to, to transfer over the warranty, and they said, oh, by the way, and you've got that extended warranty too. And I'm like, what? Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching? Uh, they, a free extended warranty? And I called that department, and they said, non-transferable. The extended warranty is non-transferable. Oh, man, I was, I was upset. I tried to find every loophole I could. There were none. But Jesus is employed full-time, not part-time, He is permanent, won't be transferred, and it's evidenced by his life. His life. He lives forever. He lives. Uh, The priest before would die, but verse 24 says, Jesus, he continues forever. He lives forever. So that priesthood is also forever. See, that Levitical system was made up of many priests. Uh, There were jobs that could not be done by one person. They had to help each other. Many priests. Priests performing various ministries all at one time, simultaneous. It was thought that there were 84 high priests between Aaron and when the temple was destructed in AD 70. There were many more regular priests that were around as well. And they had to be constantly replaced. You know, they die off. There was this basic imperfection in the whole system. It was built around people and that, that was going to fall down. Um, one priest by himself, could not meet all the needs of even one person, let alone an entire nation. A dead priest, again, not going to help you. Uh, But on the other hand, Jesus becomes a man and dies and comes back to life and becomes our great high priest. And then he has an uninterrupted ministry. An uninterrupted ministry because he continues on forever. In his infinite wisdom, he is able uh, simultaneously to care for the needs of every person able to give simultaneous help without any limitations. Even a group our size right here, every one of us praying at the same time, uh, going to God, no problem. Nothing's getting overloaded. Nothing will overheat. (laughs) Every single, if every single person in the entire universe right this moment got on their knees before God and worshipped Him and offered prayer to Him, nothing would blow. Everything would be all right. God is in complete control and he can give simultaneous help. He is that big. Goes beyond our ability to even understand. He has an unchangeable priesthood. You know, these human lifetime warranties are a joke. They're always these limited lifetime warranties. Like That doesn't make sense. Limited lifetime warranty? That's a joke. But Jesus gives an eternal warranty. He lives forever. So his life shows his permanent position, but also his work. His work. He saves forever. Look at verse 25. Therefore, and you always got to ask, what is it there for? And it's there because Jesus continues forever. He holds his priesthood permanently. And everything else that has been said about him, he brings in a better covenant and a better hope. Therefore, he is able also to save forever, save to the uttermost. We've talked about this in in previous weeks. If you doubt if you're really saved and you've come to know Christ, you've got to stop doubting. You've got to believe the word of God. And it could be a sign of health, but it can turn into a sign of decay if you wallow in it. See, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, save completely, save forever those who come to God through him. 
The Levitical priests could only offer partial and temporary service within the confines of their own lifetime. That's it. He had no ability to bring sinners into spiritual life. He stood in need of help himself. The priest was a man just like everybody else. Jesus alone has the ability to finish what he started. The priests could not finish what they, they didn't start it anyway. They couldn't finish what they were continuing on. Jesus alone, he will finish the work that he started in us. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it on to completion until the day of Christ. Do you believe that? That he will continue the work he started in you and he will finish that work. And he knows the perfect time, the perfect time. He is at work in us. Maturity is the goal. Christ-likeness, the total perfection that is God's definition, not ours. The salvation of every child of his. Romans 8, 29 says that he uh, predestined us to become conformed to the image of his son. That's God's work. That's God's will for every believer in Christ. And the reason we can come to maturity, and we talked about this a little bit last week, is that Jesus constantly prays for us. He constantly prays for us. Verse 25 says, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Since he always lives to make intercession. You ever wonder what Jesus prays for us? You ever wonder what he's praying for us right now? I was thinking about that this week and I thought, you know, I'm going to go over to John 17. I'm going to see what he prayed for his disciples and for us before he went to the cross. We got some hints here in John 17. What's Jesus praying for us even right now? Even right now. On the night before he was crucified, he prayed for his people, those whom the Father gave him. He prayed, as we see in verse 11, for their preservation, that they would be preserved. He says, I am no longer in the world, and yet they, they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. Keep them, preserve them. He prayed for their protection. Verse 15, he says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, Though sometimes we wish, but to keep them from the evil one. In the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray? Deliver us from evil. From the, keep them from the evil one. Protect them. Jesus prayed for their sanctification, that they would be sanctified. Verse 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. You want to be sanctified? Get into the word. God uses that to set us apart. And then he asked the Father that they would be unified. He prayed for their unity in, in verse 21. He says, in verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That's us. And that they may all be one. I'd venture to guess there's somebody in this room that's tweaked at somebody else in this room. I don't know. I'm not checking up on you, but I'll tell you what. If you are... Please make it right for, our, for all of our sakes. Please go to him right after this service and make it right. Confess your sins. Don't rehearse it. Just tell him what you need to say. And don't say, but. All right? I'm big at that. It's like, I'm sorry, but here's why I did it. 
here's what you did wrong. You know, don't do that. Don't go there. Jesus is praying for our unity, our unity. And it's not just this idea. It's reality. It is to be reality. We are to be unified one with another. What else does he pray for? He prays for their uh, eternal life. <laughs> the, big, the big thing. Uh, he prays for their eternal life. In verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me be with me where I am. What did Jesus say? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I am going to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am you may be also. Because I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he prays to the Father and he says, I pray, I desire that they be with me where I am so they may see my glory that you have given me for you love me before the foundation of the world. He prays for their eternal life. Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit also prays for us. The Holy Spirit also prays for us. And he intercedes for us. Isn't that awesome? That you've got Jesus, God the Son, interceding for us continually. And you've got the Holy Spirit interceding for us according to the will of God. <laughs> See, Jesus said in John 14 that he was going to ask the Father and the Father would send the Spirit. The Father sent the Son. The Son sent the Spirit. And they both are praying for us right this very moment. It spurs me on to pray for you. If I know that, 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 that God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are interceding for us, that spurs me on to pray for you and to pray for your family and to pray for this local assembly and to pray not just for us, but for the entire body of Christ around the world. These same things we can pray. Lord, preserve your church. Protect your church, sanctify your church, unify your church, save them. See, Jesus provides permanent salvation and makes permanent intercession. Permanent. Wow, can you believe it? Um, we come to him for salvation. It's, it's amazing. He says he, he in, in Hebrews 7, He's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. But guess what? When you and I came to Christ, it didn't stop there. See, he saves people daily. Maybe right this very moment, someone is getting saved. Someone is coming to Christ. Someone is being born again by the Spirit of God. Levitical priests, they offered sacrifices over and over and over again, and they couldn't save forever. See, Jesus offered himself once for all, once for all, and daily people are being born again by the Spirit of God. And the process continues. And he gives us the privilege of being a part of that process. The obeers that are going out. Us, every day. Opportunity. You know, there are people in this very room that you led someone to Christ in this very room. And you can look across the room and say, God used that person and that person and that person to lead me to, to faith in Him. That is awesome. The process continues. And I am praying that God will use us all from, as he has in the past, and we know he will, to bring people daily into his family. Jesus saves forever. Jesus saves to the uttermost those who come to him. So he is the perfect savior based on his permanent position, his life, his work. And whatever arguments have been made so far are, are sufficient. But... 
But there's one more argument. There's one more that remains. The preacher gives one more. See, the new priesthood is better because Jesus is the new priest. The priesthood is better because the new priest is Jesus. It all goes back to Jesus. And it's based on, and I know you're going to think I'm funny here because this week I had some fun with my peas. It's based on his permeating perfection. Think about that for a minute. His perfection permeates. He has an impeccable character. Look at this list. He's holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He makes a difference because he is different, entirely different. Such a high priest becomes us. Such a high priest fits our sinful condition. You see, Jesus who endured temptation on earth, Jesus who poured out his heart in prayer to the Father, Jesus who learned by suffering how hard the way of obedience can be for us. Jesus who prayed for his disciples that they would not fall away when the hour of testing came. Jesus who offered up his life on the cross as a sin offering on our behalf. That same Jesus is the high priest, the helper of all who come to God through him, through faith. He perfectly fits our condition. It's exactly what we need. He can do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Why? He's holy. He's holy. He's called the Holy One. It stresses the inner purity of thought and emotion and will. That Jesus has the unique qualification of having experienced the full weight of temptation, as we have seen several times already in Hebrews. He has experienced the full weight of temptation without ever having yielded to it, without ever having the propensity to yield to it. And there is no question then of his fitness to enter into service, into the presence of God for us. No question. He is unpolluted. We are called to show that same holiness. Though we feel dirty, though we feel soiled, though we feel stained, we are called to experience and exhibit that same holiness. No way that's going to happen unless God does it. But he does it. Be holy, for I am holy. Only Jesus can make us holy. And Jesus is innocent. Jesus, he's harmless. He's not bad. He's not wicked. He's not evil. In his relationship with others, he is eternally free from all guile, all trickery, all malice, all craftiness. Completely free. Me? I'll pull one over on you. You? You'll do the same thing sometimes. But I'll tell you what. Jesus... His motives are totally blameless, always. Our motives? Oh, man. Call them into question like, you know, how many times a day? You know, for a long time I had a little three-by-five card that just said, what's your motive? (laughs) I should have that today. Uh, What's our motive? Why are we doing what we're doing? Our reasons are not always pure, but isn't it good to know that Jesus is our? And he is undefiled. He is undefiled. He is morally clean, unstained by outside sinful pressures. Undefiled is used in the scriptures of untainted marriage. The marriage bed being undefiled, Hebrews 13.4. Of pure religion, uh, James 1.27. Of our heavenly inheritance in heaven, 1 Peter 1.4. See, Jesus is, is, is sinless. He's without sin. 
Someone gave me some berries the other day, a big old honking bag of berries. The second week in a row, I used the word honking. I realize I'm sorry. Um, I got issues. Um, but these berries were wonderful. They were good. They were ripe. And as I was driving home to bring them to my family, I started nibbling on a few. Then there was evidence. I, they were on my hands. They stained my hands. I've washed them off. Well, there's a little bit, maybe there's a little bit left, but there, there were stains. Sin stains us. Sin stains us. But Jesus, as the song goes, paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he has washed it white as snow. That is true. However you feel this morning, if you know Jesus, that is true. It is true. And he is separate from sinners. He is separate. What does that mean? I mean, Jesus, he ate with, uh, he ate with uh, publicans and sinners, right? Uh, didn't he do that? Yes. But he never condoned their sin. Never. He didn't say, oh, that's all right. Don't worry about it. You're with me. He didn't say that. He came to seek and save the lost. I'll tell you what. He, he wanted to save sinners from the power and the practice and the penalty of sin. I always say the power and the penalty of sin. And this week I added in the practice because that's what we always do. We practice it. We coddle it. We get really good at it. And he came to save us for that. You know, Jesus was never influenced by any sinners against what was morally good. He was separated from them, but never isolated. Separated, but never isolated. We need to remember that. We are to be separated, but not isolated. How can you be both? It is possible. What's the difference between isolation and separation? I think, I want to just share a little thing here. With isolation, I think for us, fear is an issue. We think that somehow we are going to get tainted by someone else, by their sin. Uh, Don't worry about it. You already are. (laughs) Don't worry about it. We are already messed up. You know, no problem. The stains are already there. Don't worry about it. Uh, But the separation involves uh, uh, thankfulness and gratitude to God for what he has done and then for delivering us and asking him to deliver us from evil and to continue to do so. You see, on our part, God's wisdom and discernment is required. It's needed because, as the scriptures tell us, 